Makers of Sport Podcast, Episode 54, with Alex Mount. Welcome to episode 54 of the Makers of Sport podcast. I'm your host, Adam Martin, at T. Adam Martin on Twitter. Today on the podcast, I'm very happy to welcome Alexandra Mount, who is joining us from the New York City NFL headquarters, where she is an art director for the NFL's consumer product division. Uh, there she leads design and creative initiatives for presenting product in new ways to consumers and innovating the line of licensed products that the NFL offers. She also has a very extensive career in sports design, including stints at SME Branding and the Madison Square Garden, where she worked on projects for the New York Knicks and the New York Rangers. Welcome to the show, Alex. Thanks for taking the time to come aboard. Sure thing. I'm so excited to be here. Awesome. So we met at the good old Bush International Airport in the great state of Texas. <laughs> we sure did. <laughs> <laughs> How have you been since the major level Creative Connect conference? I've been good. It's been really busy and it's been such a great whirlwind summer. Um, but it's it's been it's been really, really busy trying to, you know, get ready for kickoff. And now uh, there's a lot of stuff going on, gearing up for the holidays and all that good stuff. So right. never a dull moment. Awesome. So I, I did give a bit of a brief bio in the show intro, but can you kind of give us a little bit more in depth on your background and sort of tell us your story and what's your path to one of the biggest sure. sports properties in the world? <laughs> sure. Uh, well, I guess it, it really starts with, um, with growing up and just loving art and sports. I mean, I've always been an athlete and an artist. Um, I had no idea growing up that these paths would cross um, in and really kind of become a career that I love and am passionate about. Uh, I played lacrosse for Boston University, where I also studied fine arts. And um, still, even while I was in college, you would think that I'd maybe put two and two together, but I never did. Right. Um, it wasn't until um, my summer going into my senior year, I was a sailing instructor and had uh, one of the mothers of the kids that I was teaching sailing come up to me and say, hey, I see you're a designer and you play sports. You should intern for my husband. Okay, sure. No problem. Whatever you say, lady. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, it turns out her husband was Ed O'Hara of SME. And yeah, which is pretty huge. Which is really cool because, I mean, I took one look at that website and saw the sports and the design and just knew immediately. I was like, this is it. This is what I've been waiting for. Like, this is my path. And So that was when you discovered that sports design was an actual thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, before that, I hadn't even thought of it. Like, it yeah. wasn't even a, a thought that crossed my mind. Like you just thought you were going to have to go work in an agency or whatever. Yeah. And I didn't, you know, unfortunately, I love Boston University for a lot of things. But one of the things that I felt their, their art department lacked a bit in was kind of that direction of like, what are my options as a graphic design major? Right. Like, where do I go? Who, you know, 
agency in-house? Like, what's the difference? What are the pros and cons of these things? And I had no idea. I had no idea what what I was getting myself into in, in any of this. So to kind of have this realization of, wow, this is, this is what I want to do and this is the path that I want to take, I feel very lucky to have that even before I graduated um, because it's really driven me to continue with sports and just, you know, how many how many different ways can I, can I look at sports design? How many different perspectives can I see? Right. Well, I think one thing just for me personally, like one of my biggest issues with school, like as, as it is today is that a lot of times you sort of have like these lifetime, uh, students or whatever that Mm -hmm. go in, they get an MFA, they get a BFA and then they go right into teaching and they don't even know what's out there. Right. Right. You're absolutely right. And that's kind of the situation that I ran into with with my university. And luckily, I was able to, to discover that some of these things existed outside of that, like yourself. But mm-hmm. it's it's tough, you know. It it really was, and I mean, it was just uh, it was like such a breath of fresh air when I kind of was like, oh wow, all right, here here are two things that I really spend all my time doing. And, you know, anybody that's, that's leaving college kind of has this feeling of like, oh my gosh, my world is about to change. And I, I like, didn't even have that feeling. I was like, okay, cool. Here's the next chapter. Like, like here are these things that I've been doing for the past four years. And now it's just kind of exploring them in a, in a fresh way. Right. So you were at SME for uh, what, like a year, around, yeah. around a year. What type yep. of stuff were you working on while you were there? Um, I did a lot of stuff for the new Yankee stadium, which was really cool. Um, what they were working on there with, uh, was kind of getting people geared up to go from the stadium that everybody loved into this brand new facility that was going to be right across the street. Mm -hmm. And the, the thing was that they were raising prices on just about everything. And we were working a lot on creating a lot of materials to inform people like, Hey, you're a current season ticket holder. Um, you know your seats are going to be located here in the new stadium, and look at all these great things and reasons why it's worth you paying the extra money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, and and like it was cool. It was I, I have been a Mets fan my whole life. So you know the Yankees. I'm a little man. They just always got to rub it in your face. They're always winning. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. Well, you and awesome. TJ Harley would get along because TJ <laughs> is a huge Mets fan from Harley them. Creative. Love them. Like that's, that's, I'm so, you know, this season has been a wonderful thing for them. I'm just so proud to be a Mets fan right yeah. now. Um, but yeah, so, you know, kind of going in and learning a lot more about um, this really historic and wonderful uh, team that is the New York Yankees and doing all this stuff. But that kind of paved my path to get into Madison Square Garden because they were doing something similar with the um, the upgrades that they did to the garden. So they basically gutted the entire garden and put in more seats and really had all these, um, they called it the transformation um, mm-hmm. in order to compete with the Barclays Center over in Brooklyn. And uh, when they saw that I had kind of done that already with Yankee Stadium, they're like, oh, okay, cool. You you have experience in this. And that's how I got my foot in the door at Madison Square. So you did, uh, you worked at a PR agency for a while before, right? I did, I did. Was that, were you doing sports work there or was it just kind of like general? Not as much. You know, I got in there because they did PR for a lot of the players on the Yankees and that's mm-hmm. how I got into that one. Um, 
but it was really more of a, a stepping stone where I kind of worked there and on the side I was doing freelance for sports and not not a lot of crazy stuff, but doing a, a few freelance projects on the side. And some of it was sports related and others was, you know, restaurants and tech companies and stuff like right. that. Um, but it really was just something to kind of pay the bills when the economy was really weak. Right. So I worked there and I had some experience doing sports stuff while I was there, but not enough to keep me really happy, right. which is how I ended up going over to uh, the garden. Now you you told a story at MLC Connect about you know trying to get back into sports and you mentioned just like walking into Chelsea Market into the uh, MLB Advanced Media like tell that story was that in between that time or when was that Yeah yeah that was that was in between that time so I was uh, really just trying to get back into sports and um, my my theory at the time was just to go to as many places as possible with my resume and my portfolio and see who would talk to me. Most places in New York City, I mean, you go right to the front desk and you're like, I'm here to go to Major League Baseball. And they go, okay, do you have an appointment? And you say no. And they go, okay, goodbye. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, and I tried it just about everywhere. And if I couldn't get into a building, I'd kind of stand outside and see who might come out for a cigarette break and who I could strike up a conversation <laughs> with and hand my my resume over to. Um, but the one place that I had success, and now I hope, you know, I don't know, maybe others will try this, but was... Uh, <laughs> There's going to be 300 people lined up this week. <laughs> so, well, it kind of boggled my mind how easy it was to get into Major League Baseball over in Chelsea Market, because if if you haven't been there, it's like this great, like, food market on the first floor and then they have these elevators that are in the corridors between the food markets um, that lead up to different offices and Mm -hmm. some of them are I think like the food network and one of them is Major League Baseball so I just hopped in the elevator to Major League Baseball and just ended up on the floor and said hi I'm here to speak to the creative director and the receptionist said okay hold on one moment (laughs) and came out and I went back there and I and I sat with him and he was like how did you how did you get in here what how how are you here right now um and I I told this the same story that um that I basically just told you how I just wandered in and um he was so gracious and looked at my entire portfolio and and was really just very lovely and told me like hey I like I like your work but unfortunately we don't have anything open right now which mm-hmm. I was fine with and I expected um so we parted ways and uh, connected on LinkedIn and uh, kind of kept in touch and 7 years later I get this phone call and it's from Major League Baseball saying hey we remember you coming into our office 7 years ago and guess what we've we've checked out your recent work we know what you've been up to lately because of LinkedIn, and now we have something available for you. And it ended up not being the right fit for me at the time, but it was just one of those moments where you're like, ah, this is how it all circles back. Yeah. So that was was that pre-NFL? Yeah, it was actually kind of going on the same time as um, as uh, transitioning to the NFL. So okay. um, that's the direction that I ended up going in just because uh, I felt that the position at the NFL would offer me a little bit more um, as far as a learning curve, things that I hadn't done before, which is what I was looking for. 
Right. So, and in between that, you worked for Madison Square Garden, obviously. Yes, what I was, did. What was uh, what was it like? Because historically, your experience had been agency side, right? You know, mm-hmm. you're working at a PR firm, you're working at SME, and now you're going transitioning into in-house. So, talk a little bit about that transition and and maybe some of the ups and downs of of doing that type of work in-house. Absolutely. I mean, at first to me, it was a really big breath of fresh air. I was kind of like, oh, wow, you know, you don't have this this client that you're really, really looking to please. And like uh, the client wants it by eight o'clock tomorrow morning. So the client has to get it. And you're pulling all these crazy hours with agency work and everything like that. Gotta have your billable hours, right? (laughs) Right, exactly. You know, and so agency to me was like, it was almost like design boot camp. Like I was there, I was putting in the hours, I was putting in like the legwork. I learned a lot. I got a lot for the portfolio, but you know, I, I really, I had to earn it. And it was a lot of nights that I didn't sleep very much and kind of going into um, the team stuff. There was a little bit of that. And especially cause when I started, it was right around the time that LeBron James was potentially coming to the Knicks. So I worked there through that free agency, which was crazy and a, a whirlwind. And, you know, everybody was like, oh my God, these are such late nights. And I was like, oh, this is, is kind of normal for me. And then he uh, took his talents <laughs> to Miami. Right. I know. Then he took his talents. <laughs> that, that's another story. But <laughs> we could go off on a whole tangent on that. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, so it was kind of like a crazy whirlwind. But then, you know, it, it would calm down and you could leave at a normal time. And, you know, the thing that I really liked about it was that there was a structure of support and people that were kind of behind you saying, Hey, we're all, we're all looking to do the same thing. And that is to sell tickets and keep our fans happy and keep them engaged. And I, I didn't get as much of a feeling from that working at an agency. Cause it was kind of like everybody had their own thing. Like the, the people that were in charge of the clients had to keep them happy and the designers had to keep the designs moving forward. And, you know, to work in a place where everybody's main, you know, end goal was, was very similar, um, was really cool, really, really cool. Um, but then you run into frustrations and you hear this with anybody that talks uh, or that works for sports teams. Um, and that's, some of the stuff after a little while, you know, you're sick of looking at the same colors. Right. Um, you have, the, you know, you have kind of the office politics of too many cooks in the kitchen and everybody has, you know, what they want to go on one flyer and, and 5 million people need to see this one tiny invitation and you go through 60 iterations of it just to, mm-hmm. just to send it out only to find out that the, you know, address is spelled wrong. Um <laughs> <laughs> You know, and it, it's, it's funny just, how that goes, isn't it? Because I had a big mistake happen when I was working at IMG where something was misspelled, and it went through like no telling how many people looked at it for. Oh, I believe <laughs> it. You know, and it still went out. And it was like nobody caught that. <laughs> I put up one of my first projects working for the Rangers was uh, we were taking over the NHL store on Fifth Avenue in New York City because we were unveiling our 85th. Jersey. And I was in charge of, of doing the window clings that would, you know, be outward facing. And at the time, Marion Gabrick was one of our, our biggest players. So, you know, I put him on this poster. I put his name down there. They printed out, they put it in the window, spelled his name wrong. Oh no. Best player on the team spelled his <laughs> name wrong. 
And, That's brutal. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it was like everybody was like really, you know, my boss at the time was like really cool with it. She's like, don't worry. I made this same mistake. You know, uh, it's it's OK. And yeah. our, our production team like got it got it fixed pretty quickly. But it it lived in that space and it was wrong. And but it, it happens. <laughs> Tons of people looked at it. You know, nobody picked up on it. So it's kind of one of those. It's just kind of like, all right, got to gotta learn that. Double, yeah. check, double check spelling of names, especially if they're foreign names. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Well, mine was actually, I spelled television wrong. <laughs> and it was like, it was basically, it was like T-L-E-V-I-S-O-N. I forgot the I-O-N. And it was kind of like, you know, you're working, you're working really fast, you just type something out or whatever. Yeah. And, and it was like on the inside cover of a media guide uh, of, a, of a Division One school. Not a huge school, but like a mid-major right, school. Right, right. It was actually enough to where, like, I guess this, the company had made some mistakes with them in the past, and this was like the final draw. They were like, we're out. Oh, no. <laughs> and, and I was like new there. And, you know, but it's, it's funny how you've seen those little uh, word things where they jumble up the words in between the first and last letter. Yeah, and then you can still read it. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Uh-huh. And and that's pretty much exactly what happened there. And nobody notices. Yeah, yeah. it's pretty much exactly what happened. Yep. And you know, honestly, when even when they said that it was that it was misspelled, like even initially I was like, what are you talking about? No, I can't it's even not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like still reads television, you know. <laughs> but, you know uh, what yeah. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So did you I met Michelle Cruz down at uh, MLC Connect and she works now for the New York Red Bulls, who I'm I'm a fan of. And it looked like she's coming on the show in a couple months and awesome. did, did you guys cross you guys work together there right yeah yeah okay, michelle cool. is one of my favorite people i love her she is just so incredibly talented and she just her energy is so great to work with we worked um the way the office was set up at at Madison Square Garden, we worked in what we call the cave, which is, mm-hmm. you know, a room inside a room inside a room. And we just, uh, it was great because in a lot of ways, having all the designers back there, it allowed us to really be collaborative and share our work. And I think that's one of the things that I learned most from Michelle was really just to push collaboration. She is such a big um, supporter of like, hey, let's all come together. What are your ideas? Let's put them out on the table and let's share them and and make this better. And I think that that was, to me, the, the coolest thing that she brought to the table that I thought was missing um, when she started at the garden. Right. So what what would you say if you had to pick out like maybe some vital things or or just like a like some key takeaways just from that experience with the Knicks and the Rangers like either good or bad like what did you take from there uh that sort of stuck you know oh man I think a lot a lot stuck and I think it's it's both good and bad um and and by that I mean I think a good situation or a bad situation, you can learn from any of it. Um, I think one of the the main things that I really learned was to how to communicate with kind of within a corporate environment and really be able to share very creative ideas with people that aren't creative. Um, I think that was probably one of the biggest challenges there was to say like, I'm not doing this for myself. I'm doing this so that we can all look look better and make a difference here. And I'm not trying to annoy you and I'm not trying to tell you that you're wrong. I'm trying to tell you that this, there is a better way or there are other ways that we can do that. Right. Like trying to sort of sell the whole objectivity. Like I'm doing this for the greater, 
purpose of the brand, not because I'm an artist. Right. And I think when I first got there, I was very much like, no, this idea is great. Why don't you like it? And then over time, I really had to learn to be like, well, why is it great? And what does that matter to these people? And how will it affect them? Which I think is all they care, not all they care about, but it's a big thing of of what a lot of um, people think about that aren't creative is, you know, how is this going to help? Why are you doing it this way? And it's that whole reasoning behind everything that that really makes a difference. And being able to communicate that, I think, is just as important as being able to to design well. Oh, 100% agree. And I think what's crazy is that, like, a lot of these people will, on you know, on the business side of things, they'll, if it looks okay, like, in their heads, they think mm-hmm. it looks good, yes. right? It's like, that's good enough, you mm-hmm. know? And mm-hmm. we're all, like, trying to be like, well, but there's too much information here. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Nobody's going to read all this. There's no hierarchy to the information. Like, right. let's just pull some stuff out. Yeah, absolutely. And and just kind of being able to to say that and say, hey, you're going to get more bang for your buck if you you know pare down this copy and really accentuate and and bring to light the the few things that you want people to walk away with. Right. And it's it's almost like if you go to Times Square and you're going to put an ad in Times Square. Yeah. The best ad that's going to stand out is an ad that's basically like a white background with like one word. Totally. Totally. At this, yeah. But everybody's trying to be the biggest and the brightest. And it's just, then you get in there and you're like, oh my God, I'm so overwhelmed. I don't even know where to look. Yeah. I do want to talk about, uh, in your in your talk at MLC, you mentioned getting pigeonholed and how you had some people that maybe you worked with that were like, I'm just, I'm afraid of getting pigeonholed as a sports designer. And I remember mm-hmm. uh, having those same feelings when I was, when I first came out of school. And then you, and then, but eventually I learned to embrace it and be like, this is what I am. This is what I love. Who cares if right. like it's not aligned with the Landors of the world or, you know, the major branding design firms and that. Can you talk about that a little bit and your thoughts Absolutely. on that? Absolutely. Because, I, I mean, I think it's it's so much about personal preference and what makes you happy. And I think if you are going to wake up every day and you're going to go to a job that you truly love and you're truly passionate about and it makes you happy, then it doesn't matter if you're pigeonholed. Like, you will find a way to make that work. And I think... Um, I think that that's basically what I meant there was that like I've I've been in this um, for not not too terribly long and I feel like I've already kind of seen you know that there are so many different angles just in sports design alone you know whether you're talking about the apparel whether you're talking about you know how to sell product whether you're talking about how to sell tickets um, fan engagement um, logos you know all these different things like there's so much with that that is underneath this umbrella of sports design that I personally feel like I can still continue to grow and learn within this however mm-hmm. I think that there are some people that um, you know maybe if they are really into illustration or logos like they don't just want to do logos that are sports because there's so many other options out there so I think it's for me, it's about the different kinds of design within the sports world, um, whereas others might be like, hey, I really focus on this one specific kind of design and want to do it across many different platforms. Right, right. So, and and I'm, like, I'm with you on that in terms of, um, for me, like I really try to think outside the box, and I try to push other people to think outside the box too in terms of being in the sports world because it's really easy to get one-track-minded and be like, if you say sports design to some people, like some people only believe that sports branding, 
right? right. And if you say right. it to, some, to another group of people, those people only believe that it's like college sports posters and social media graphics and the very Photoshoppy type stuff. And it's like, no, but there's all kinds of opportunity in this world. Like right now you're working in consumer products. Yeah. There's like, uh, I've done a lot know. of photo shoots this summer. Like that's something yeah. that I never, and it's photo shoots that are, that are talking about lifestyle, but mm-hmm. I'm doing it for sports. And that's crazy to me because, you know, if you would have asked me, you know, two years ago, if I thought that I would be doing something like that, that lived within the sports world, I just would have been like, no, I don't don't even know what you're talking about. Like that doesn't, you know, that doesn't exist, but just because it doesn't exist at the time doesn't mean that, you know, it can't be created and it can't be something that, you know, you move forward with. Well, and I'll be honest with you, my personal opinion, I think that like a lot of sports design tends to look the same because people that are in sort of that one track minded, uh, world and uh, tend to frequent the same place for inspiration or only yes. look in sports design. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, like uh, one of the companies that's doing some of the best sports related creative out there mm-hmm. is Red Bull. Yes. I mean, they're killing it. They're doing they like really videos are. and documentaries and like magazines and, and, and that right there, like I look at that and I'm like, that right there is why I'm in this, like sports and culture, right? Like when those totally. two intersect, that's when things get awesome. The thing that I really like about Red Bull, too, is that they're kind of redefining what it means to be in sports design. I mean, you kind of think about sports design and you think of, okay, American baseball, football, um, hockey, basketball. You know, you think of kind of like the big four. But then you go to Red Bull and here they are with like motocross and skiing and like all this cool stuff that is all within the sports world. It's just you know, they're looking at it with a, you know, through a wider lens. And that to me, I think is awesome. Right. And, you know, I mean, even like, of course they're redefining it for us, but even more specifically, they're redefining sport in general. I mean, I go to, uh, I go to their, like, uh, one of my favorite things to do is to go on like Apple TV and go to like the Red Bull channel and just watch the stuff they have. Like, yeah. I mean, I saw, I watched one the other day and it was just like, it was cliff diving, but it was like off of a castle in Whoa. like outside of like in like the English Channel or something. Like it was just it was See, nuts. I love stuff like that. Like I definitely I'm I'm an adrenaline person. Like I love I would love to do that. I'm a little I don't know if I'd ever cliff dive off of a castle, but you know, I love <laughs> snowboarding. I love um, yeah. you know, wakeboarding and, and all that kind of stuff. So like to me, I'm like, yeah, let's let's you know, let's look at this stuff. This is right. cool. Well, speaking of snowboarding, did you watch uh did you ever watch that documentary, The Art of Flight? Oh yeah! Oh, oh yeah! Oh my goodness! That, that I thing went to the is premiere ridiculous. Because I loved it. <laughs> and you know, I think that's when I discovered because because that's like a Red Bull thing. Yeah. And I didn't know that. And it was yeah. like when I'm watching it, it was that was when I really discovered that these that they're a company that really um, pushes like they're creating their own content, you know, which mm-hmm. is really cool. And I mean, Nike's doing this now. You're seeing like these little short films popping up or whatever, like around the World Cup, they did like a five minute animation or something. Right, right. But when, like, I love that's the type of advertising. Like, I'm not really big into the whole like advertising agency world. Mm-hmm. But when companies are doing that, that's the type of stuff that I really like. Right, because it's this, it's the kind of thing that really engages people. It makes them look at that and be like, whoa, this is a totally different perspective. Yeah. What am well, I looking at? This looks really cool. And since we're, uh, since we're kind of on this subject of talking about sports that are sort of uh, 
outside the norm, I think we'd probably be remiss if we didn't discuss a little bit of lacrosse <laughs> because, you know, you no. played lacrosse and I'm, yeah. I'm working in lacrosse. Yeah. What do you think about where lacrosse is today as far as like its growth? And you got guys like Paul Rabel out there who uh, is like sort of become a spokesperson almost for the game as far as like the mainstream. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, I think it's interesting because I think it is such a fast growing sport. I think, um, you know, I was very, very lucky to get in when I did because, um, you know, women's lacrosse really kind of took off, I guess, early 2000s was was like a real turning point when they got rid of those terrible boxy plastic goggles and said, OK, let's let's get let's get real here. Let's get some real protection and everything else. And, you know, when I when I started playing, I started when I was in ninth grade and I ended up going and playing D1 lacrosse like that would never happen right now like in my hometown kids are starting with lacrosse sticks in their hands when they're five years old now Um, so like that to me is is a little bit scary I think the whole recruiting process is also a little scary I I believe they're they're starting to try and pass some mandates that that kind of force college coaches to um, wait a little longer to sign players or to get verbal commitments because it's the age the age range is getting you know, lower and lower for these yeah, kids. Yeah, because I think that, right now, like, the norm is to, like, commit when you're, like, a sophomore yeah, <laughs> or something. Yeah, freshman, sophomore, and, and you're committing to this, and it's just kind of like, man, I think about where I was as a freshman in high school, and I had no idea what I was doing or what I wanted for college. So yeah. I think that that's a little scary to me, but the sport itself, I mean, I can only see it gaining momentum. I think that it's it's a sport that... For guys, it's a lot about like it, it has the excitement that a lot of you know football and hockey has, where it's like the the contact and the finesse and uh, the speed, which is great. And for the women's sport, I think it's something that really has a lot of discipline and uh, focus. So it's. Yeah. Uh, it's really cool. Well, I would love to see. I wasn't privy to lacrosse growing up, obviously, being being where I'm from. And um, I didn't really get into it, or I guess I just didn't pay that much attention to it until I started working with this company. And now I'm, like, super deep into it. Like, my, I want my kids to play, like, if they yeah. want to play. And, I mean, it's a fun sport. It and, really is. You know, the one thing that I wish w- um, – <laughs> was that the the men's game and the women's game were a little more close in terms of like their aggression. Because yeah. like it just seems like there's so many fouls called in the women's game. <laughs> mm-hmm. And there's there's such like I almost feel like they're they're two different sports. Like they're yeah, played totally. with a similar uh you know similar stick, but like even with, with the women's with not having, you know, no contact, no pocket, you know, all, all these different rules and and like the whistle blows and everybody freezes and it's just kind of, it's crazy. And there is, there are a lot of fouls and um, it does slow down the game quite a bit, but that's also to protect them from, you know, we don't wear helmets, we don't wear big pads and it's kind of this precautionary, like we're, you know, if we cross that line, then it's, then it's about kind of putting more equipment on and safety and everything else. Right. Yeah. And see, that's where I think, uh, this is totally subjective. It's totally my opinion, but you know, you think about like the NFL, and when we could get into the whole like men, women, women playing the NFL thing all day. Mm-hmm. But if like if there's a if there's a sport that women are looking to that can have like a similar type of aggression and excitement as the NFL, it could be lacrosse if they 
allowed the helmets and the pads and let them like actually, you know, battle like the, the men do in terms of like, you know, hitting each other with the sticks and that type of thing. They could, but you know what? I have to say, like, I don't think that it would be, I think one of the, and this is going to sound horrible, but this is how I feel about um, a lot of um, women in sports um, is that, you know, I think you hear a lot, like, especially with WNBA and with, um, you know, women's soccer kind of coming to fruition in the States and then dying out, um, you know, it's like, why won't this, why isn't it gaining popularity? And I think it's still something that has very much to do with like, people aren't ready for that. Like, you know, my parents joke around that, that like female sports won't be popular unless women are wearing bikinis and playing, oh, right. you know, like, and, like the, and like that little, like that football league. Right. <laughs> right. Like the, whatever it's the lingerie football league or something. Yeah. Along they changed lines. the name of it to something else. now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't even know what it is, but you know, and, and I do feel that there is some truth to that statement. And I think that that's one of the reasons that, you know, lacrosse, you can still kind of be this like, like, Oh yes, I'm wearing a skirt and I look like a girl, but like I can, kick your ass yeah um so it kind of straddles that line of like i'm i'm badass but i'm still feminine that i think people embrace right now which is sad mm. you know it's yeah. it's kind of sad like it's sad that it can't just be like hey look at these phenomenal athletes and that's one thing that i really love about even just seeing somebody like ronda rousey like she's freaking badass oh, yeah. she's, she's strong awesome. as hell and she's awesome and like I think that we need more of that of just being like, hey, this isn't a bad thing. Like like women having, you know, strength and and pride and all this is just an important thing. Well, and one thing that's cool about her too is like she's stepping in the ring and she's just like, you know, crushing people or whatever, but she's still very like I mean, when she goes out, like she's like dressed to the nines, like feminine, like you know, posing in like GQ magazine or whatever types of things that she's doing, you know, it's like, she's, it's kind of showing that like, you can kind of like you straddle that fence or whatever, I guess. Right. Right. And, and like, it's just sad that there, there has to be, or that there is right now, there's still that, that line that, that has to be kind of, um, straddled, but Mm -hmm. I think she's doing a better, like, I think she's doing a great job of being like, no, I'm strong. I'm strong and I'm proud of it. And like, and I love what I do. And I think that that's like the most important thing is just kind of seeing this. And I, I just wish, you know, girls in general had had more of that to look up to and just being like, doesn't matter what makes you happy. Like, go for it. Right. Right. No doubt. Well, I want to talk a little bit about. Um, so I I write a newsletter called Weekend Reads, um, mm-hmm. which is comes out every Friday. For all you listeners, you should totally sign up at makersofsport.com slash email, (laughs) a little plug. (laughs) But um, so in that, I usually write like little things or just uh, articles that are stories that sort of tie in design and creativity, being creative people or being productive people and things like with our careers to sort of tie those into sports. And um, one that I recently wrote was about perseverance. And it's, it's become sort of one of my favorite ones. And so I'm curious, you, you seem to have a career that's kind of built off perseverance. So I was wondering if you can mm-hmm. kind of tell us like what role perseverance has played in your career. Ah, yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. I think, um, you know, a lot of things that I've done in, in my life have been in general that I just really like it and I keep doing it and other people kind of drop out 
and mm-hmm. I find myself being like, oh, cool. I'm, I'm still I'm here. I'm the only one left. <laughs> yeah, like, this is great. And and I know that that sounds like horrible, but I have found that to be the case in, in a lot of things that I've done in life where it's, you know, I'm an okay soccer player. I'll go out for the team. And people just didn't want to, you know, go through the two-a-day practices and would oh, yeah. kind of drop out. And I'd be like, well, I kind of have fun doing this. This is great. And I feel the same way in my career where it's like, no, I just, I'm generally enjoying myself. Like even on my worst days, it's not that bad. I'm still working in sports. Like right. even when, you know, when a design of mine gets like totally slammed down and it's like, this isn't what we're looking for. And, you know, lines of communication are crossed. It's like, okay, cool, well, let's go back to the drawing board. Let me see how I can fix this. Yeah. Um, so it's just, to me, it's kind of this challenge. And as long as you're enjoying yourself, like there's no reason to, to walk away. And I've never felt that for me that there has been, and that's been with sports. And I mean, I played lacrosse in college, but I wasn't, I wasn't very good. Like uh, I didn't get a lot of playing time until my senior year, but it was just that I loved the people that I was around. I loved, I loved being able to, you know, if I was frustrated about something, like go for a run, get right. it out. And, uh, and I feel the same way today. Like even, even in environments where I thought, you know, man, this is, this isn't the best creative, uh, place for me to be and you know maybe there's maybe there's something else out there the the thing that always kept me going was just the people that I was surrounded by like I've been very very lucky to work with amazing people throughout the years like and people that I just keep crossing paths with because I think as a as a sports designer as opposed to a just you know regular designer I think everybody kind of has this this sports mentality already built in that like this is a team and even though you're kind of working on your own thing, it's kind of like you got you have each other's back. What are you working on? Do you need help on that? How's how's it going? And that to me is just I don't even think you need perseverance if you have that. Yeah. Well, I think one thing too, kind of staying along the perseverance thing is that uh, in this sort of fast-paced social media world where you know we're seeing. 30 for 30, like the 30 for 30 yeah. list or whatever, mm-hmm. like every day, like, oh, so-and-so got on the new, the 30 under 30 or whatever. Right, right. And, and we sort of put all this pressure on ourselves to succeed like incredibly at a young age because we see like Mark Zuckerberg, who's like a billionaire and he's like 29 <laughs> or 30. And you're like, oh God, why did <laughs> I like, what am I that? doing with my life? <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but then if we think about, you know, our parents' generation or, or like, you know, our grandparents or whatever, and, and look at like how it took them sometimes like 30 years to get to oh, a yeah. point where, you know, they, they were satisfied with, with maybe their body of work or just like the, the sort of position that they've, they've climbed to. Right. Right. And, and I, I don't know. I just feel like, again, I'm, I'm just, I've been really happy. Like my biggest thing is to just keep learning. And that's, that's all I want to keep doing is just keep learning. Um, And I think as long as I'm doing that, then the expectations of where I should be aren't really in the forefront of my mind because I'm constantly thinking like, well, it's okay. Cause I'm I'm still learning. I'm still learning. Like, you know, I don't, I don't need to be the best of the best, like as long as each day I feel like I've picked up something that's going to help me tomorrow. Yeah. So, well, and I think the people, honestly, the people, if you look at just like patterns 
or themes of like people that have been the most successful in just about any career, they're addicted to learning. Yeah. Like you, you know, you could be like really good at something and just keep making that thing over and over and over again. And eventually, but eventually you're going to like, you know, stagnate and it's like, you have to learn, you have to continue Mm -hmm. learning. You got to push yourself to move outside the box. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, well, let's talk about, you mentioned relationships and kind of all the people that you've got to meet in your life. Talk about the importance of networking and uh, especially in this niche. I mean, we, we all just got back from this conference and met just about, you know, a lot of people uh, and just about any, any, uh, aspect of the business. And a lot of them didn't know each other, you know? Right. And that's kind of the, the, the coolest and like kind of the most mind boggling thing as well is just this fact that like we work in such a small niche and we don't have the opportunity to, you know, meet each other, chat and, um, kind of go over all of this stuff and it's and it's so cool you know what was done with um with mlc connect that it really brought everybody together because i think networking is so important for so many reasons i mean there's the obvious one that it's like cool you know you're looking for work and you know somebody that that currently works there or has worked with people like that's great but i also think that networking is so important because it serves as like inspiration and support and i think that that's overlooked a lot mm-hmm. of times um, when when people think about networking. But I think that just being able to to reach out and say like, hey, you know what? I'm working on this, this logo and it's going to have to live as a patch. I don't really know too much about how, how to translate something from a vector file into like, what does it mean to like look like a patch? Like what's going to make that successful? And kind of mm-hmm. saying like, who can I talk to about that? And, you know, you probably don't have anybody maybe in your immediate group of friends or family that would know the answer to that. But like now all of a sudden with social media, you, you have these places that you can ask that question. And uh, it's, it's just, it's so important because it makes you better. Like it right. makes you better. And people love, people love being asked questions. Like people love helping other people. I'm a big believer in that. Like I think you know, you reach out to somebody and say like, Hey, I need, I need some help on this. Like, I know that you've done this before. I think you very rarely find somebody go that goes, no, I'm not helping you on that. Right. Yeah. And I've found even on this podcast, like, um, just having these conversations with people, uh, you know, like we're not even probably what, like a very small percentage of this conversation has actually been about design. Right. And that's like usually what these things end up being, which is funny, but that's my favorite part because we could talk about Photoshop and things like that all day. Mm -hmm. But to me, it's like, how do you get to the core of like creative people? And they start really letting out these things that really kind of show how, how they do the things that they do or why really why they do the things that they do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And that's, you know, I think, you know, what makes people tick is just, fascinating in general to me um, right <laughs> but then you then you you know hone in on that with with kind of sports and design and branding in mind and and you're kind of like wow I never I've never thought of it from that way or I've never looked at it with with that kind of perspective before and I think that just doing that kind of circles back to your question about being pigeonholed and if the more you network and the more you see what is out there and the different opportunities the the less it even feels like a pigeonhole at all right yeah, because then you get to see exactly what we were talking about earlier, where you have a lot of different options as far as like mm-hmm. the the horizontals that you can work in. Yeah, in absolutely. the vertical market. 
Yeah. And speaking of that, I do want to now talk about your your the things that you're working on today. Cool. Um, yeah. So your your current role is art director for the consumer product division in the right. NFL. And so for those that may not be privy to that position or maybe even just the NFL's consumer product line as a part of their business, can you describe both like the department and then specifically what your role is? Sure. So um, the consumer products department at the NFL is really interesting because it's um, basically it's comprised of a bunch of different licensees. So, um, you know, you can have different companies come in and say, okay, I want to be a licensee for the NFL. And that might mean like you could have a company that makes coffee mugs and they want to be a licensee and be able to put, um, you know, team marks on their coffee mugs. And it can go from anything from, you know, a coffee mug up to Nike. Nike is a licensee and, you know, they get to put team marks on, um, you know, on apparel and all that good stuff. So what the consumer products department does is kind of wrangle all of these different licensees and say, okay, we have, we have all these different people that are putting our marks on, on things. How do we sell this in the best possible way? What are we trying to accomplish here? You know, I think for the most part in years past, it's just kind of been like, okay, we have jerseys. People will wear will wear jerseys or, you know, really kind of um, some of the more tchotchke things that are given as gifts. But now what they're really trying to do is elevate that and say, hey, we have more than just jerseys. We have some really cool stuff that people can wear all all the time and uh you know we also have nicer things that can be used in your home that maybe if you're a fan and you really you know kind of have have a group of friends that you like to have over like we're gonna we're gonna help you kind of look at this in a different way like through a different lens in order to continue to sell products so um so that's been kind of interesting because i've never i never knew that that's how the company was set up. I never understood that like there were all these different people that were involved with things that had NFL logos on them and, um, and really kind of trying to hone in on like, all right, there's a lot of moving parts here. How do we, how do we want to market them? Mm-hmm. And, it, it almost uh, sounds like a, uh, it's similar to the collegiate licensing division, like in mm-hmm. college sports. Yes. Yes, Definitely. Definitely. Um, so I think, you know, one of, one of the things that, uh, that they're looking to do is that the NFL doesn't have a flagship store. You know, I was kind of talking about the NHL store on Fifth Avenue in New York City here before, and the NBA has their own store, and uh, the NFL doesn't. And they don't have their own footprint because a lot of retail spaces actually lose money. Um, when they're standalone stores, uh, you think of something like Nike town and it's a cool, cool store, but it actually costs them money to have that store. They don't make enough money, um, to really keep that store going, but because it's an experience and because, you know, it draws people in and, you know, once they leave, they might also order things online and continue to be a Nike customer. They, they do have that store. The NFL isn't interested in having a store that, um, that does that basically because we have so many different markets all mm-hmm. across the country. It's kind of like, yeah, New York City would make sense to have it because that's where our headquarters are and, you know, it's a big city. But, like, 
what about everybody in Green Bay? There are tons of fans in Green Bay that like love NFL gear. So it's interesting. And, and that's one of the things that we're trying to work through is like, how does, how does NFL apparel live within retail spaces across the country? You know, everything from just a table to a full, you know, 300 square foot space. Like how do these spaces all feel cohesive and feel like an NFL space? And that's one of the things that I've been working on. So you're working with photographers a lot and just trying to kind of like art direct in these spaces. Are you getting to do a whole like much design execution? Yeah. So what we're, where we started with that is that it's kind of like the initial question was like, what does a retail NFL space look like? And Mm -hmm. that, that kind of was asked when I first started. And, you know, my first question was like, well, where are the photos that show this apparel? And we didn't really have much. Um, Mm -hmm. So that was one of the things that we focused on this summer was uh, really kind of working to get a retail photo shoot going that really just shows, okay, cool, we have some men's apparel, we have some women's apparel, we have some juniors apparel, and, uh, you know, some stuff that we like to call home gating, which is, you know, for the home. Um, And how do we tell that story of, like, you're not a super fan, it's not aimed towards the guy that, you know, has the million buttons all over his starter jacket from right you know it's kind of your everyday person like you go out into the street and you see people wearing nfl gear all the time so it's kind of like how do we hone in on this and say like hey you can do this you can kind of wear this in a stylish way and um and have fun with it i you know i want to see nfl shirts turn into the new like rock and roll t-shirt that like people will wear like and you you can see it on the runway or you can see it, you know, just lounging around your house. So I think that that to me is kind of where we're trying to take this. Um, it's cool. It's a cool process and kind of seeing how, how photography can tell that story. Yeah. Well, and, and I definitely, um, I like that direction because you and I actually had a conversation down in Texas where, um, you know, if you think about how, the NFL sort of went through this phase and it was like, let's make these like, it, historically it seemed like it kind of went really urban in like the lifestyle brand. And by urban, I mean like city, like high mm-hmm. fashion, yep. sort of dressy dresses like for women that were like jerseys or whatever, or like yeah. this type of thing. And and it was almost like, where are the things for like normal people? You know, mm-hmm. like where are the things for middle America or the South where, and there's a ton, a ton of, I mean, we know that there's tons of NFL fans everywhere. Oh yeah. I mean, like, yeah. You, like when you even, even when you go, uh, so Kentucky isn't an NFL state obviously, but mm-hmm. th- because of our close proximity to other NFL teams, like you can go to like a Buffalo Wild Wings or whatever dur- during a game day and you will see just like almost every team represented. Like it's insane. Oh, absolutely. That's the, that's the insane thing about just the NFL brand in general, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But I do like how you guys are kind of moving towards that that sort of like aesthetic of like just the here's stuff for like the normal person. Yeah, and and that's something you know. I mean, the consumer products department here has done a really great job with that. I mean, we have we have people that are working here, you know, that really kind of took took the women's line especially and kind of said, listen, we don't want to just wear pink. We're, we're done right. with that. And really, I think, pushed it really far in the other way. And, and it did become kind of high fashion and kind of something that maybe not everybody would wear. But I think that was almost a necessary growing pain to be mm-hmm. like, okay, cool, where do we land here? And I think that that's something that's still being worked on. And I think the answer is that, you know, to really just have like this broad range, but then really bring to light like, all right, 
there are some options here and, uh, you know, you can, you can dress it up, you can dress it down. Um, but we've got something for everybody. Right. So you've been there uh, a little bit over a year. Is there some sort of like catalog or something that's like the NFL puts out that we can like see like some of this new stuff that's coming out? Like where can we go to look at this type of stuff? Yeah, actually we're working on some lookbooks right now. Um, we just had them kind of printed. Uh, we have a, we had an event last night for, for women's apparel, which was really cool. It was called the NFL style showdown. Um, and it was at this really awesome gallery over on the West side. And, um, we had Aaron Andrews was the host and we had these, uh, fashion bloggers kind of compete to come up with outfits incorporating NFL apparel. And, uh, it was really, really cool. And the lookbooks were given away with that. And, uh, what we're looking to do now is get them online and kind of have them as this interactive thing. So uh, I will be posting those pretty soon. That's awesome. Well, yeah, yeah, when you post those, shoot me the link and and I'll definitely tweet those out. Definitely, yeah. And it's it's been fun. It was cool because we used all the photos from the uh, from the event uh, or from our lookbook at the event, and uh, just it's really starting to come to life. So it's fun. That's awesome. How often do you uh, get to run into makers of sport OG Steve Vollmer? <laughs> Uh, I sit right across from him. Oh, do you really? <laughs> yep. I didn't know that you, you guys are right there, but you're kind of like in doing, he's doing different stuff though. Yep. He does different stuff. He does a lot with events, um, which is so cool. I mean, I feel like he just, just finished up doing stuff for draft out in Chicago this year. And he was just telling me yesterday that he's already starting back up for next year. So it's wow. like, oh man. All right. Never a dull moment. Now, um, where do you, where do your departments meet at the top? Like, you know, if we look at the pyramid of like a corporate structure or whatever. Okay. So let's take a step back. And the way it's, it's really worked over here is that I I've found myself kind of back in this, an agency in -hmm. a way, because the, the creative department within the NFL is run like a creative agency. So consider us and a creative agency. And then like my client would be the consumer products department. Okay. So, and then, you know, Steve has a different client than I do. Oh, okay. So you guys are like the design team, like in the same group, but I see. Right. So we're in the same group, but we have different clients. So we work on different projects. I gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. And I am strictly, um, consumer products. That's, that's all I work on. And it's cool because in a lot of different ways, you know, I get to see, the different events throughout the year. Mm-hmm. Whereas like if you're working on just, you know, a few events, like you're really focused on them. So I get to see kind of the different events through the lens of consumer products, which is, right. which is, Hey, it's kind of cool. That's awesome. Well, <laughs> I, that that's like, honestly, I think that's super cool that that's the way that that's done because they're ha- just being someone that follows the startup industry so much. And, um, I recently watched this, uh, this, panel on design and venture capital. Mm-hmm. And it basically, it was interviewing designers that work for like, you know, the big startups of the world, like uh, right. uh, Eventbrite and, you know, some of yep. those types of places. And um, it had some, some VCs in there and basically they were talking about design, like in corporations and how like, you know, to really kind of be like a design centric company, you have to have like a centralized design group that sort of touches everything. And it sounds like that's what you guys are doing as opposed to, if you look at like a, uh, a university say you have mm-hmm. like 
uh, and not just sports, but like you have a designer in the education college department and a designer yes. in the so-and-so department and also yes. there's like, in a, and there's not like a centralized, let's go to the design group where they sort of have like all these touch points across the whole brand. And that sounds like what you guys have. Absolutely. And I have to say, I mean, like the way that it's structured and like the support that we get from that structure is awesome. You know, it's, it really is. It's something that was, um, was built up and is, is really well respected. So, you know, I know that if I'm kind of going back to my client and saying, Hey, this project is going to take X amount of weeks. I have the people behind me that say, yep, that's the timeline that it's going to take. We're happy to get this to you. We're happy to work with you to get you, you know, different parts of this sooner. But overall, like, you know, I have people that have my back, which I just is amazing because you don't yeah. get that everywhere. And I feel very lucky to be in an environment where that exists. Well, I would, I would imagine that being the case, that pushes you to be a little more forthcoming with your ideas and, and mm-hmm. maybe edgy in your ideas or however, however any of that would go. Absolutely. And, you know, just like anywhere else, like if you, if you push it a little too far, it's kind of like, all right, all right, come on, we got to pull in the reins a little bit. But it's really encouraged to, to think outside the box and to push the envelope here and, and really kind of, what can we do? We have, you know, we have a a great amount of resources. We have a great system set up and an amazing, you know, support group that like it, they set it up that, you know, the sky is really the limit. And then it's kind of like, okay, how do we, how can we realistically make this stuff come to life? Right. That's awesome. Yeah. So what's, uh, and kind of wrapping up, like we've said, I mean, the NFL, that's like one of the, the biggest and most famous sports properties in the world. And honestly, probably one of the most recognizable and valuable brands in the world in general. Yeah. Um, that being said, I'm curious, what's, what's your pinnacle? Like, what is, where's like the top of the mountain for you? I don't know that there is a top of the mountain. Like I'm super happy with where I am right now, but like I could see myself like enjoying, you know, I think whenever I get to a place and I do think about like what, what would be really cool to see next? Like what else do I want to learn? And I guess dealing a lot with consumer products, like I'd love to see kind of the other side of it and learn more about how the licensees kind of view sports and selling to not necessarily just athletes, but people that want to aspire to be athletes. And I think that that's a very different lens than selling to fans, right. but it's still sports. So something like that would be really interesting to, uh, to explore. And again, you know, just, I would love to even try to see if there's anything to do with more extreme sports. Right. As I said, you know, snowboarding that if there's a way that I can do some more design within that realm, that would be really awesome yeah that that would be some fun stuff right there yeah i would just be like really <laughs> giddy all the time I think. <laughs> yeah well you know what hey get some snowboarding equipment uh, uh, strike up a deal with one of these brands and get some nfl snowboarding stuff going oh they have some skis and i saw and they do have uh, one licensee that does do snowboards so that's awesome you know i was i was really excited when i saw that at the consumer product summit last year i was that's like awesome. oh no way. This exists. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, where can so, listeners yeah. like follow your work and, and maybe holler at you online and that type of thing? Sure. I'm actually, I actually really am overdue for an update on my website, um, which is alexmount.com. Um, but I haven't actually put any of my NFL stuff up there yet. Hopefully uh, I will within the next week or two. This might encourage me to do that because I'm actually announcing that I'm going to. So hopefully that'll, uh, <laughs> 
force me to do it. And, uh, but other than that, I'm I'm occasionally on Twitter, uh, at amount three or, uh, right amount. And, uh, you can find me those places. That's, that's about it. Yeah. And right amount is your freelance side. And then amount three is sort of your, like your personal brand side. Yeah, exactly. But they're, they're intertwined. Wherever, yeah, wherever it's you like, want it's to like find me, me and makers of sport. I'm retweeting exactly. each other. Exactly, <laughs> I, I totally agree with that. And you actually were the one that kind of inspired me to have the two because I was like, oh, they can live pretty nicely together. Yeah. Um, well, see, when I set it up, I thought um, I was like, well, I don't want to be defined by makers of sport, right? right? Yeah. Because I might want to do something else one day. But then it's like it's so hard to separate you from like your thing mm-hmm. that it ends up just like the personality in both are very similar. Yeah. I'm like, uh, you know, I, I don't tweet a lot, but when I do, I usually like retweet with the other name and I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's just a mess. But yeah. you know, yeah. you can, you can see what I'm up to on there. <laughs> well, we, we don't, we don't, uh, we don't, we'll, we don't want to discourage followers from not following both. So everybody should still follow both. And you sure. should also follow Absolutely. both my personal one and makers of sport. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome, Alex. I really appreciate it. Uh, yeah. It was good to catch up, and uh, obviously we'll stay in touch. That sounds great. Thank you so much. Awesome. My next guest is going to be Rebecca Pfefferman, or at RebFeff, R-E-B-F-E-F on Twitter. Uh, Rebecca is actually the head of SX Sports, which you may have heard me mention that before on Twitter. Um, it is a, a new track at South by Southwest, Uh, in Austin, Texas, which is a massive interactive film and music festival. Um, And so basically, SX Sports was created two years ago. It's coming up on its third year. And it is geared sort of towards the intersection of sports, technology, startups, design, film, and creativity. It's one of the tracks that actually spans at least two of the the other tracks in interactive and film. Last year, they had uh, Bill Simmons was there. There's usually a lot of athletes there. Ronda Rousey was interviewed there on stage. ESPN did a couple of live podcasts as panels. So it's a pretty cool event. I've been to South by Southwest, just the conference in general, the interactive conference. But with SX Sports being new, I'm planning on heading down there this year and checking that out. So Rebecca is going to join the show uh, on episode 56, and she will be telling us a little more about the conference, and uh, hopefully hopefully some of you guys can make it down there. Big thanks again to Alex Mount for coming aboard the podcast today. Again, as she mentioned, be sure to follow her on Twitter at Amount3 and her freelance account right, at RightAmount. Uh, head over to makersofsport.com slash episodes to hear more from previous guests and also check out the halftime shows which are the weeks in between interviews where i discuss entrepreneurship freelance and more in the sports industry and in addition don't forget to check out as i mentioned earlier weekend reads a weekly newsletter where i write exclusive content and share the things i'm reading that i find interesting or that inspire me for that particular week and in addition on that list you'll be notified in advance of upcoming guests and get podcast show notes delivered to your inbox. So please support the show by signing up at makersofsport.com slash email. Lastly, please take one to two minutes, head over to makersofsport.com slash iTunes right now, unless you're driving. Hit the five star and write about your experience with the show. If you've gotten value from myself, if you got value from Alex today, go and let both of us know 
what you thought about the show. Write a review, hit the five star, and share the content so that others can discover the value for themselves as well. As always, I'll accept likes, ratings, or reviews on Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whichever application you happen to be listening to this in. I'm at T. Adam Martin on Twitter. The show is at Makers of Sport. Until next time, have a good week.